All right, I got to give you time to do this. If you have a Bible and you're going to follow along, we're going to be in Habakkuk. Yes, that's right. Habakkuk chapter 1. How about that? Habakkuk, H-A-B-A-K-K-U-K. I think that's it. Habakkuk chapter 1. So you can find it. It is not easy to find. It's tucked away a little bit. It's one of the prophets. It's, uh, it's a fun one. It's actually one of my favorite books. And so we're going to be in there the next two weeks. And then, uh, and then the, next, the next two, we're going to do something else. I'm going to explain this to you. We're starting a new series today. I don't know what I'm calling it. I may not call it anything. So if you have an idea, let me know. Um, we're going we're gonna to see what happens. But I, I want to set it up by saying this. I was just thinking about this yesterday. Um, if you've ever gone on a, a big trip, and I'm talking about like, like a big one. When I was in middle school, uh, my parents made me do Boy Scouts, and I had to like finish it all the way through. And once, one summer, we did a Colorado camping trip. And it was this major trip where you, all you had was the pack on your back. It was like 10 days, and you, we were camping out as we went. Um, and it was like one of those things. And so in order to do that, um, we, we had to do a lot of preparation, a lot of learning. And there was a lot of conversation about, hey, like this journey is going to be awesome. You're going to get some really cool views. You're going to get to fly fish in some of the coolest um, creeks and rivers that, that people don't get to go to. Um, you're going to enjoy scenery that people don't get to see. But at the same time, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be really challenging. There's going to be days you want to quit because the hikes are going to be really difficult. There was one hike in particular. I remember the only way to get across is with our packs on. We had to balance across this log that if you fall, I mean, you're going way down into the creek kind of thing. And it was that deal. In seventh grade, what were we doing? I don't know. But I remember in the preparation, there was just this reality of, hey, there's going to be some awesome things, but this is also going to be really hard. And we want you to be prepared for that. And I tell you that because... In Christian history, if you study it, and so just bear with me as I do this for a second, you'll see that this is the mentality too of the Christian life, is that the church would see its job as to prepare believers in Jesus to walk this journey in life. And there was just this mentality of, hey, that's what life is. It's this journey. There's going to be some awesome things that happen. There's going to be some really hard things. And so we want to prepare you for that. So I'll give you an example. There's a guy named John Bunyan. You might have heard of him. He was born in 1628 in England, and he rebelled against God. In fact, he said that no one compared to him. He was like, I was one of the most rebellious people. I was partying hard, and no one compared to me. I'm like number one when it comes to rebelling against God. And then what happened is he became a Christian and he just couldn't help but tell people about Jesus. So he started proclaiming the gospel boldly. And in that time period in England, the government didn't like that. And so they threatened to throw him in jail and he kept preaching anyway. So this guy that used to rebel against God is now proclaiming the gospel and they threw him in jail. Right when he got thrown in jail, his second wife had a child, but that child died. And so think about that. His child dies. He's getting thrown in prison. It was a 12-year jail stint. And that's, that's just the beginning of his suffering. Like that just opened the door of all these other terrible things that happened to him. And so he wrote a lot of things when he was in jail. One of the things he wrote, some of you have read, it's called The Pilgrim's Progress. It's one of the best-selling books other than the Bible in history. And it's all about... The, the Christian life being this journey. That's why it's called the pilgrim's progress. It's, it's a person who this world's not their home. And it says, hey, this is what it's like to go through life. And there's a scene in it where the Christian 
is prepared for suffering and hard things in his journey by this guy named Evangelist. And so this guy's just preparing him. And he says, hey, along the way, just like my Colorado trip, you're going to have some good things that happen, but you're also going to have some hard things. And these are the resources I want to give you in order to deal with those things well. It reminds me of this quote from J.R.R. Tolkien who wrote The Lord of the Rings um, and all that. This is what he said. I love this quote. He said, our whole nature as humans, our whole nature is soaked with the sense of exile. And so what he means is that there's this thing deep in us that knows that this world's not our home. Where there's this sense of exile, like we're not at our home. This isn't it. So Peter, in 1 Peter 1, he calls the church elect exiles, elect exiles. That means people that have been chosen by God, but this world is not their home. They are not living in their final destination. And so at Christmas, uh, made me think of this, my family was was at this kind of big Christmas dinner with, with some other families as well. And there was a, a young kid who was there. I don't even know how old he was, probably four or five. And he was just hilarious and was just having some conversations with him. And I was just struck by how innocent the kid is. Like he really hasn't gone through anything yet. And I started thinking about it for some reason. I just felt this tremendous compassion for him because I was just thinking about it. And I was like, man, this kid has no idea what he's getting into. Like he's going to get to middle school and people are going to make fun of him. Or he's not going to make the team he thought he was going to make. He's going to fail a class and he's going to question about his future. He's going to have a breakup situation. I mean, I just started going through in my head like, oh my gosh, like he's so young. He's so full of energy and all this stuff is in front of him. I was like, man, I wish I could just shield him from all these things. But then I was reminded that Jesus in John 17, uh, that's not what he prays for us. What he prays for us is he literally says, not that they would be taken out of the world, but that they would be protected from the evil ones. And so Jesus is aware this world's gonna be hard and his prayer is not that we would be taken out of a broken world. It's actually that we would have resources to live with hope in a broken world, knowing that this world is not our home. And that's what the church has done for years is prepared Christians for this reality that, hey, th- this world's not your home. If you try to make high school your home and you try to be all about this little four years of your life and say, I just want to fit in. I want to have all my fun now. Then you're losing your sense of exile. This world's not your home. If you expect like, oh, everything's going to be awesome in my life always. This world's not your home. You've lost your sense of exile. And so I say that because throughout Christian history, this has been the mindset, but I think we've lost this in, in America today. I think we've lost this sense of exile. And I'm going to explain the ways that I've seen us lose this sense. And so for you today, um, if you're being honest, one of the reasons we're doing this series is a lot of you, and you may never have told anyone, but a lot of you in this room, you're burdened. You're experiencing burdens. You're experiencing discouragement. You're experiencing depression. You're experiencing anxiety. You might even be traumatized by things that have happened to you. Some of you, your dreams, your goals, your relationships aren't where you want them to be. Some of you, you came in this morning, you felt like you're struggling to have hope. Okay, now for others of you, you're in the opposite area and you would say, man, actually life's really pleasant right now. And for you, what I would tell you is that one of my friends who um, his, his son had leukemia, one of the things that I remember he said is that the, you don't want to learn um, what you believe when you get the call to go to the hospital. You want to have known what you believe about God before that stuff happens. And so for some of you today, if you're in a pleasant season, 
this is preparation for you because you're not always going to be. And so this is an opportunity for you to learn things that are true. So when you do have hard things that happen, you're going to have the resources to actually have hope and strength in the midst of it. Because when you are in hard things, um, what, one of the things that I'll say is that trials reveal your theology. Trials reveal your theology. What I mean by that is when you go through trials, it reveals what you believe about God. It's like you get pricked and your blood comes out and it reveals what's in you. And so we want to do that preparation now. And so what we're going to do for those of us that need the preparation or for those of us that are struggling in this culture that says you shouldn't struggle, everything should be awesome, we're going to do a four-week series um, answering four different questions on suffering and trials and how do you go through difficult things. And so the first question that we're going to answer today is why do we suffer? In other words, a question that a lot of us have asked, and it's the question of if God is good, and God is loving, and God is powerful, why does he let us go through hard things? Have you ever wondered that? Okay, we're going to answer that today. Well, we're going to try to do it a little bit. But why does God let us go through hard things? Next week, we're going to say, how do you have the strength to go through hard things? And the third week, we're going to talk about um, really, like in life, sometimes you're, you're discontent or you feel like you're having to wait for something and so how do you wait? How do you live in this, this state when things aren't how you want them to be? And then the fourth week, we're going to talk about um, how do you deal with uh, just loneliness or like the cost of following Jesus in high school. Okay, does that make sense? If you think of anything else, let me know. Well, we can add a fifth week. This is going to be a living, breathing thing. But in order to do this, we're going to go to Habakkuk chapter one, and we're going to answer this question. Why do we suffer? Why does God let us go through some of these hard things? If he's good and he's loving, why does he let us do this? And so to do that, we're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about the problem of pain, and then we're going to talk about the perspective on pain. So the problem of pain, I'm going to explain what I mean by that, and then God's going to give us a perspective that we can have when we go through anything. Is this making sense so far? Okay, this was a crazy week, so I'm just, I kind of threw this together. So Habakkuk one, one through four, um, I am going to, I want to set this up before I read the verses. And so on the Florida trip, this was two years ago, I had a conversation with a high schooler who's now in college. And the, the conversation was basically, uh, it, was, it was on the last night of the Florida trip. And he was explaining to me a lot of very difficult things that he had gone through and was currently walking in. And a lot of these things were in his family. And it was stuff I'd actually never heard before. I was like, man, that is really intense, really difficult things. And one of the things that he said to me is uh, this idea is he goes, man, I just don't know how I can believe in a God who lets this stuff happen to me. And so I don't know if you felt that, where you've been like, how can I believe in a God that lets stuff like this happen? There was a Texas monthly story about a woman that left Christianity because of the suffering that she had experienced in her life and that she had seen in the world. She said, I can't follow a God that lets this stuff happen. And so hard times that we go through, they can be confusing and they can cause us to doubt God. And so we've all experienced this. This is the problem of pain. That's the first point. When I say the problem of pain, it's a C.S. Lewis line, but it's this idea of how can God be good and loving and powerful and still let really hard and bad things happen? Like what do we do when life doesn't make sense and we ask that question. We say, God, why are you letting this happen to me? For some of us, what that experience is, is it's not just the hard things that have happened. It's actually for you. You are attempting to follow Jesus in high school, 
but that's actually costing you something. And so that may cost you loneliness. You're like, I don't know what to do on this night when everyone else is doing this. Um, it can cost you um, social popularity, something like that. Like you're actually experiencing this. Man, I'm trying to follow Christ, but there's this cost to it. And I don't know if that cost is worth it. And so this is the problem of pain. We all deal with it, with things that we go through and with the cost of Christianity. And so why do I say that? Because enter our new good friend, Habakkuk. Okay, some people call it Habakkuk, which one, I don't think is right, but two, it just sounds weird. So we're gonna go with Habakkuk. And so who was he? He was a prophet. And so what a prophet did in the Old Testament is they spoke on behalf of God to the people. So God would give them a message and then they would, they would go and share that with the people. Usually it was because the people had done something stupid. And so God's like, go tell them to quit being idiots and to come back to me. That's not what happens with Habakkuk though. Okay, Habakkuk is in Judah. That's the Southern kingdom of Israel from probably like 609 to 598 BC. And I tell you that because this is real. Like this is a real person that had a real interaction with God. And we have that, interaction. And so it's interesting, like I said, his prophecy is not something God gave him to go tell people to quit being dumb and to come back to him. It's actually his own personal painful struggle with the questions of faith and how God answers those questions. Habakkuk himself deals with the problem of pain that I was talking about, and he records his conversation with God. And so we get to look at that. And so this is what happens. It starts by him complaining to God. And I love this because he doesn't go in and he's like, oh, holy Lord. Like he doesn't start with, with that at all. Like he just comes in hot and starts complaining. And so check this out. We'll see Habakkuk the complainer, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. And this is what he says. He goes, oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Okay, have you ever felt like that? That's how he feels. He's saying, God, I'm crying for help and I feel like you're not hearing me. Or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. And so what's he saying? He's complaining because in his particular context, he sees that the wicked are prospering and the righteous are struggling. And that bothers him. He's like, God, that doesn't make sense. Like people that aren't following you are doing really well. People who are, are suffering. And it feels like you're not doing anything about it. That's what he says. He's complaining. And so he feels like God doesn't care. Like God is distant and he doesn't care. And here's why I love that. Because I love how honest the Bible is. The Bible is incredibly honest. It's not a children's book where everything is always amazing. Okay, every kind of crisis struggle, loss, sin, discouragement that you can think of is in the Bible. It's a real, raw, rated R, honest book. And so it's like God is trying to tell us, hey, suffering and disappointment and confusion are going to be normal in this broken world because this world's not as it should be. This world is not your home. And so what happens to us as believers is that we're very often going to be perplexed and confused about life circumstances. And what you see with Habakkuk that's awesome is that it's okay to go tell God these things. It's okay to bring these things to the Lord and to have this honesty about I'm confused and I feel like you don't care and I don't know where you are. 
and the Bible shows this honesty about, hey, this is where life is sometimes, but here's what's difficult, and I want you to hear this, about where we are in history is that we live in this little window where we believe that everyone's reality should be just like ever-increasing comfort and happiness without pain and disappointment and confusion. So we see this with advertisements. We see this with movies. We see this with social media. It's this thing, this mentality that's fed to us all the time of your life should just be going like this all the time. That everything should be great and you shouldn't have struggles and something's wrong if your life's not perfectly happy. And that's what our world throws at us. Well, the problem with that is that what non-Christian sociologists are finding, and I can show you a ton of books on this if you want to read into this, that this is doing a ton of damage to us. This is causing a lot of problems. In fact, the more you believe that, the more anxious, depressed, hopeless, and discontent you will actually grow. And on top of that, what a lot of them are saying is like the worst thing a parent can do for a kid is to try to give that kid everything that they want in that moment. Like give them everything they want to make them happy in the moment and then try to protect them from going through hard things. That actually creates people that don't have strength and resources when life is hard. And sociologists say this is a problem. This, this lie has been fed to our culture for years and we are now experiencing a lot of the consequences. And so I just want you to think of two questions here. The first question is this for the problem of pain is where have you and are you experiencing suffering and struggling in your life? It can be in so many different areas, but where are you and have you experienced it? Because according to Habakkuk, the way he handles this is the best thing we can do is actually just bring that out and to be honest about it. And so the world's going to say, I'm going to show you what the world says a little bit is don't do that. But there's so much freedom to do that. So I'll just list a few that I thought of and I just want you to think if you relate to any of this. Um, one of these is the suffering of acceptance and, and FOMO is what I would call it. And so it's this idea of every day I'm waking up and I'm living for the acceptance of other people. And I'm, I'm afraid of how I'm missing out. And that creates slavery. That's not freedom, is it? It's slavery. That was my number one struggle in high school. Um, the second is the suffering of broken relationships, meaning that you might have relationships in your life that are causing you pain and confusion. Um, for you, it might be the, the suffering of false expectations that you kind of believe um, what our culture tells us and this produces discontentment. There's like this daily discontentment of, man, my life is not as it should be. I need these like five things in order to be happy. Okay, it could be the suffering of pressure that you wake up every day and you or other people around you put all this pressure on you to be perfect in your sport or get all the grades, have the great resume to look a certain way, whatever it is, but you live with this daily pressure on you. You feel like you have to be perfect. Um, it could be the, the suffering of living in a sinful and tempting world. That this world, there's a real enemy that's trying to lead you into things that look good, but actually are going to cause you pain. And that's really difficult in this world. For some of you, it's the suffering of loss. In the, the world we live in, um, we're constantly losing things in, in people in, in the world that we live in. And so I just want you to think about like, where have you experienced this? Where are you experiencing this in your life? And then I want to ask you this question before we go to the, the second part of this is how do we deal with those things? There's three ways that our world tells us typically to deal with these things. Can we hit the next slide? And I want you to, to see which one you might relate to. These are three things that the world typically 
does with, with suffering, with pain, with problems. Uh, this is the world's perspective. God's going to give us a different perspective, but this is the world's perspective. The first one is denial. First one is denial. And so when I was in college at OU, um, I majored in philosophy and I minored in psychology and religion, which I don't recommend, although I kind of do, but it'll mess you up a lot. And so my freshman year, I was like questioning everything. And I was like, I don't even know if I believe any of this and all that. And, and I, here I am, I'm, I'm preaching, it's great. But that year was a little stressful. And one of the things I remember studying that year was Buddhism. And so what Buddhism essentially says is that suffering is not real. That the reason that you suffer is because you have attachments to things, you desire things. And what you need to do is just not desire anything not be attached to anything. If you can do that, then you won't suffer. And so what it does, it just denies suffering and, uh, and these desires. And so it sounds cool until you realize that you can't do that, that denying things is like suppressing it. And so the, the way it looks in our culture may not be Buddhism, but this idea is that you, you hear it all the time and you, you deal with this, of there's this fear of being honest. And so it's so much easier to just deny things. And you've done this, right? Like somebody who cares about you is like, hey, how are you? And you're not doing well and you're like, I'm doing good. You know, we do that all the time. I, I definitely do that too because it's not fun to look like things aren't going well. And so we like to deny things. We like to suppress it. We like to act like everything's fine when everything's not fine. This is a problem for all of us. It's specifically though a problem for us guys. As guys, we do not like to look weak. We don't like to look like we're struggling. And so it's easy to go, hey, how are you? Good. And deep down, you're not, you're dying. And so that's how the world tells us to deal with it. The second is distractions. And so what the world will say is instead of dealing with it, numb it with certain things, just distract yourself. And so that can be entertainment, but it can very often be things like partying, porn, drinking, all of these things that we go to. We may not even realize that we're doing it, but it can offer this, this moment of escape. But the problem is it doesn't solve the problem and it actually creates more problems. And so a lot of us do this. We try to distract ourselves. And then the third one is despair. And so when I studied philosophy in college, one of the things I found is that some of the people that rejected that there's a God, uh, they traced that out to its logical conclusions and they lived with despair. They essentially said, there's no hope. And so you might as well just party on and live it up now because this world is a mess. And people that really trace that out, we see it a lot, live with this despair. All you have to do is watch the news for 10 minutes and you see this voice of anxiety and worry and despair over where everything is going. And so I just want you to think about which one are you most tempted to go to? For me, it's denial. I do not like to act like things are not good. I like to just push them in and act like everything's great. I also am like a fast-paced person a lot of times, so I don't like slowing down and dealing with stuff, all right? And so I like quick solutions, okay? And so you just think about it. Which one of these do you relate to? In the Bible, the Bible's gonna give us a different perspective. And so that's what I wanna kind of hit at the end here is it's gonna give us a different perspective on pain. And so what we're gonna do is something different. We're gonna go to the end of Habakkuk now. So we did the beginning. We're gonna go to the very end and I'm gonna show you why we're doing it. So something has happened. This is the last three verses of Habakkuk. This is what he says at the end. So remember, he's having this conversation with God and this is the last thing he says in his book. So I'm gonna read it and then I'm gonna explain what it means and then we'll, we're gonna be done here. As he says, though the fig tree should not blossom, 
nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the, the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold. There be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my, deer, my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Okay, so let me explain this. What Habakkuk is describing here is not pleasant. Okay, figs, this is what he's saying is that a fig tree, um, if, if it's going to have figs and it's going to have these little blossomy things, all right? He's saying it doesn't have either. So what he's basically saying is that today is really bad and tomorrow doesn't look any better. So he's not doing the thing where he's like, well, today's bad, but tomorrow's going to be a better day. He's like, no, today's bad and tomorrow's probably worse. And so we need to feel the weight of what he's saying here. Okay, I failed chemistry and statistics in high school. I'm fine. Look at me now. Don't stress. I have a, I have a job. I'm getting paid. But um, I did fail those two classes. But even I can figure this out as I look at it. This is like biology 101. If he's saying there's not crops in the field, there's not crops this year, then we don't have seeds for crops next year. And so he's like, we don't have food. We don't have food now, and we're not going to have it tomorrow. Okay, go to the thing about the flock. Think about this. If the sheep don't like each other, okay, they're cut off from the fold. They're not going to make other little sheep, and you're not going to have any sheep. That's what he's saying. The sheep aren't happy. They're not making other sheep. We don't have any sheep. So, I, again, I just love how honest this is because he's basically saying this is the reality of living in a broken world. He's in this really hard situation that we're going to talk more about next week, and he's essentially saying, hey, even though everything around me is bad and it's not looking better, he says in verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I'm finding strength in him. This is crazy. He's saying I am experiencing joy and strength in the Lord even though things aren't good now and they're not looking better tomorrow. That's amazing. And so this is a sign of spiritual maturity. If I were to ask you that question, what is real spiritual maturity? It's easy to think, oh, it's like I know more of the Bible or I'm living a certain way, I'm behaving better and those things can play a role in it, but what you find is this. This is real spiritual maturity. Is at the beginning of the book that we just read earlier, Habakkuk's confused with God, and essentially what he's wanting to do is use God for his own purposes. He wants God to give him better circumstances, and by the end of it, he just wants God for himself. He doesn't want to use God for better circumstances. He just wants God for himself. At the beginning of the book, he wants God plus other things. And at the end of the book, he just wants the Lord. He says, God, do, do whatever you want, and I'm going to trust you anyway. At the beginning of the book, he says, do this, God. I want you to do this. And at the end, he says, do what you please. I trust you anyway. And so there's two signs you see here of spiritual maturity. Okay, number one is that Habakkuk's greatest joy is set in the Lord. His number one joy is set in the Lord. And his second is that he is confident in God and not himself. He's saying, God, you're my strength. I don't have strength anymore. I need you to be my strength. And so for a lot of us, we're confident in ourselves instead of being dependent on God because we live in this culture of comfort and resources. So his deepest joy is set in the Lord at the end of this. And he's not confident in himself anymore. He's confident in the Lord. And so I tell you this because this is the experience of believers in Jesus throughout history. I've told you about one of my really good friends um, on the Florida trip. If you were there when I did my heaven seminar, she, she passed away from cancer and left behind her family. She's one of the most um, happy and content people I ever met. And there are a lot of tears in that season. There's a lot of realness 
in that season, but she had this source of hope that was supernatural. Okay, this kid that I met um, in Uganda that I've told you guys about a lot, his name's Emmanuel. He was living with this stomach condition that he never knew when it would take his life. He had one pair of clothes and he was the happiest person I've ever met in my life. Okay, what made them different is because they had a relationship with Christ. It's not that their circumstances were ideal, but they knew the joy and the strength of knowing Jesus. You see this all throughout the New Testament, and we're going to look at this. And so this is the perspective on pain that God gives us. It's joy and strength in him. And I want to tell you this, because this is crucial, is that if you get this, and I have this on the screen, I want to put this on the screen, the honest and hopeful thing, Billy, is that if you understand the gospel, if you understand Jesus and who he is and what he's done for you, then it will form you into being a person who can be honest and hopeful at the same time. That's exactly what Habakkuk does there. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't act like everything's fine. He's completely honest with reality, and yet he's living with hope at the exact same time. Um, I know of no other religion or philosophy that can give you those two things at the exact same time. Honesty and hope at the exact same time. This is completely different than how the world handles trials and suffering. And so this is the invitation of the gospel, is that you can be honest with the things that are going on, but then you take your honesty to fix your eyes on God. And so when we're not honest, when we hide it, we rob ourselves of then getting to experience the hope of who God is. So this is the question I want to ask. I want to end with this. This is what we have to answer. We're going to do it next week. But how does Habakkuk get from where he started to where he ends? You see what I'm saying? Like, how does he get from where are you, God? How long to yet I will rejoice no matter what? Like something clearly happened between the first statement and the last statement. And that's his conversation with God. And so next week we're going to look at what does God tell him that gets him to this place? But for now, I want to end by answering that question based on how Habakkuk ends his letter is that why does God let ha things happen to us? Why do we suffer? There's two things that we see at the end of Habakkuk in, in the verses. And I want to, want to end with this is the first one is this. Okay, here, here's the reality of that question. If you've asked that question, why does God let these things happen? The, the truth is that we don't know. Okay, that's really the reality is that people will often give you, they'll try to give you really, like, frankly, not helpful answers. And the truth is that in so many ways, we don't know why things happen a lot of times to us. But there's two things that we do know. And you see this at the end of Habakkuk. And these two things are enough. And so the first one is this, is that God is his strength. That's what he says. He says, the Lord is my strength. And so this is what I've learned in my own life is that, in, and this is what Lydia shared earlier, is that in our suffering, in our trials, in our challenges, that's actually the place where God draws nearest to you. And so oftentimes to that question, God, why are you letting this happen? He doesn't give you a why, but he gives you a who. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to tell you why this happens, but he's going to give you himself, and that's going to be enough whatever you go through. And so when you understand the gospel, when you understand what Jesus did for you, Instead of looking around, you look up and you see God's character and his promises. And one of the most comforting promises for those who are struggling today is that Jesus is with us in the mess. He is with us and he is present with us. That's the summary of the whole Bible in three words. It's God with us. There's a quote that I saw this week, and I have it on the board here, Billy, is that the darker the shadow, the closer the Lord and I've been thinking about that all week. The darker the shadow, the closer the Lord. This has been my experience, 
is that in my life, the darker seasons I've been through, the closer I've actually felt the Lord, that he takes complete and absolute responsibility for people who are in his care. He has complete intentional care in these moments. And so why do these things happen? We don't know, but what we do know is that God draws near to us regardless. Okay, and the second one is this, and I want to end with this thought, and we'll sing one more song here, is that he says God is my strength, and he also says that God is his Savior. And so we'll end with this. Why, does, why do these things happen? The truth is we don't know, but it can't be because he doesn't love you. And how do we know that? Because we have something that Habakkuk didn't have. When you look at the cross, okay, Habakkuk knew God was his Savior, but he didn't know the full extent of it. We know that we have a Savior that took on a cross for us, which is the ultimate proof that Jesus loves us. There's a guy named, we're going to sing this song at the end called It Is Well. You, you may have sung it before. It's, a very, it's sung a lot in churches. Horatio Spafford is the guy who wrote it. He was a prominent Chicago lawyer, and he was a follower of Christ in the mid-1800s. His four daughters drowned in a tragic Atlantic shipwreck, and he wrote this song right afterwards. Okay, so I'm going to read you some of the lyrics, then we're going to sing them, and we'll be done. He says, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Okay, and then hear this. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And so here's the question. What in his grief, why is he remembering in his grief with his daughters, his sin being nailed to the cross? Like, what does that have to do with the sadness and the hard things that he's experiencing? The answer is everything. Because when things are hard, you might be tempted to think, oh, God's punishing me. You might be tempted to think, oh, God doesn't care. You might be tempted to think, oh, God doesn't love me. But when you look at the cross, you realize that none of those things are true. And like Horatio Spafford, you can sing it is well with my soul because I have the cross. And so SP, I'm gonna invite you to come back up here. We're gonna sing that right now. Um, and we're gonna fix our eyes to the cross. And we're gonna ask him to do that. And so for those of you in the day, you're, you're in here today, you're struggling. We'd love to talk to you about that. Um, we hope these things comfort you and encourage you over the next four weeks. If you're not, now's the time to learn who God is and what you believe so you can have the resources on the journey um, that life takes you on. God, we do thank you that... You are a God who has given us a book um, that's so honest, that meets us right where we are. It doesn't act like everything is always easy. Lord, we thank you for Habakkuk and just his example of wrestling, that there's so much that we can learn from with that. Um, God, we thank you that you are our strength and you are our savior. And so God, we just confess today that there, there's so many things we don't know. There's so many things we don't understand, but what we do know is that you are with us and that Jesus died on the cross for us. So Lord, help us be able to experience peace in our souls with honesty and hope as we look to the cross. We pray that in his name, amen.